Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of March 18th, 2019. On the show today, we're going to call this one, We Didn't See That Coming, because we're talking about new opening dates for Galaxy's Edge in Disneyland and in Walt Disney World, plus also new Walt Disney World ticket prices that have just been announced. Also, I'm going to tell you the single best thing to eat at this year's Flower and Garden Festival. But first, let's bring in the man who makes all of this possible, especially by dressing up in a large bee costume during Flower and Garden, one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Uh, hang on, I got pollen between my fingers here. <laughs> Ooh, sticky. I am buzzing with excitement, Len. What are we covering on today's show? So we've got the, uh, we've got the ticket stuff, we've got uh, Galaxy's Edge news and what that means for listeners, especially in terms of crowds and wait times and what they, they can see. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, like I said, I'm going to tell you the single best thing to eat at Flower and Garden. Let me do that now. First, though, let's thank new subscribers, Reese S., Jenny, and our dear friend, Aqua Viola, plus longtime subscribers, Isaac D., Eric VDP, and MVP Scapa, not actually Mike Scopa. Uh, you know, Jim, uh, as I mentioned, I was wandering around World Showcase last week, right where uh, Flower Garden opened. And a friend had recommended that I stop off at this thing called the Honey Bee Stro, B-E-E Stro. It's a mm. food kiosk near Canada to okay. try uh, one of the desserts there. Uh, so the dessert is called the Local Wild Flower Honey Marscapone Cheesecake. Jim, the single greatest thing in the history of desserts. I don't understand how people say... Western civilization isn't advancing when you eat things like this. Totally amazing. Which, by the way, comes with orange blossom honey mm. ice cream garnished with fennel pollen meringue kisses and petite lavender shoots. Jim, crazy, crazy good dessert. Uh, have you heard? This? Have you heard about this? No. Again, you know, to be honest, I'm surprised anybody makes it to Canada these days what with the line for the orange bird you know it's just right. sort of like I, I all i see these days are just lines stretching to lakeland you know oh, the, the orange bird is the must-have accessory of flower and garden this year for our listeners who haven't seen it yet it's a small plastic orange shaped drink vessel that uh, that also looks like the orange bird icon that walt disney world used to use back in the uh, 70s you jab a straw into its body and you suck out the, the tasty juices of the orange bird. I'm, I'm told it's an orange drink. So yeah, there's a lot of luck, but so popular, Jim, that I understand they've actually instituted a one orange bird per person policy now. Holy cow. You see, and it's a $15 drink. Uh, my grand nephew, Abraham. This sounds like a biblical story, Jim. <laughs> well, it, it's starting to take on the shape of one, Len. My sister-in-law, Kathy, has a ceramic orange bird on her kitchen counter. And here is her her wonderful one-year-old adopted grandson. And he comes in and he's the sweetest kid on the the planet. But when he sees the orange bird, he becomes this demon. It's like, I must have the ceramic orange bird. bird. There's just something about the shape of it, the color that he wants this thing really, really bad. And and again, a one-year-old in ceramic, this is not going to end well. No, no, no. It's not going to end well. No, not at all. So again, you know, I see this year's Flower and Garden 
what are they offering? They're offering a plastic version of Orange Bird, and it's just as appealing as the ceramic. And, you know, and it's one of these things where I think, oh, I will just ask friends who to get in line and get this thing, because how long could the line possibly be? Half an hour? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone I ask is like, they suddenly take on that tone, like you're asking to be taken to the airport at three o'clock in the morning. It's yeah, or like, you know, or, or like, you could, could you spare a kidney? That sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, it's this huge imposition. So I guess I'm turning to eBay. Well, I'm going back this week. I'll uh, I'll see if I can grab you one if the line's not too long. I got there okay. at um, I think I think that booth actually opened early. Most of them didn't open until ten or ten thirty. Okay. I'll, I'll check it out. The okay. one thing I did notice, mm-hmm. just walking around, is I, I wasn't wearing sunscreen, I, and it's it's already sunny and bright in Florida. Jim. I had a tan bordering on a burn just from being out there for a few hours last, uh, last week. Yeah. Okay. Be sure to slather yourself with that cheesecake, Len. I'm sure. Well, so let's, so so let me tell you the story about that cheesecake. So it's the chefs at Canada, the Canada mm-hmm. Pavilion, who came up with it apparently, mm-hmm. and they entered it last year into a honey-themed food competition, mm-hmm. and it won. Mm-hmm. So based on that, they decided to bring it to Flower and Garden, mm-hmm. and it's it's an amazing flavor. It's sweet, but it's not syrupy like honey mm-hmm. is. Um, there's just enough honey flavor in it to make it distinctive, and the cheesecake is super light. You can tell a lot of work went into the batter. Like it's not a really dense, heavy thing. It's something that you could eat and then immediately say, I would like another one of those, please. Plus I would put the ice cream on everything. I would put it on pies. I would put it on cereal, put on bagels. I would use it as a motor oil if I had a car. Just amazing stuff. You these days bat back and forth between Orlando and, and New York. And the last time I was at the stage or deli, light is not the term that I would have used for the cheesecake. In fact, I think one of the reasons that the stage or deli closed was basically, you know, as I was eating the thing, I was thinking, you know, maybe they're confused. Maybe I'm eating a doorstop. They're keeping the real cheesecake in the back. A New York cheesecake is very dense. This is the opposite of that. This got like air whipped into it. It's it's really amazing. A, uh, a cast member tipped me off to it, by the way, and it was every it lived up to everything that they said it would be. It was really, 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 really good. Best thing I've seen so far at Flower and Garden. But that can't be the only wonderful food item. It, it is, it, you know, I, what else I, you got? You know, Jim. In the in the course of research for this mm-hmm. this podcast, we sacrifice our bodies. That's mm-hmm. what we do. We lay it on the line, Jim, every day for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's what I'm going to tell my doctor from now on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Doc, I, just, I leave it all out in the field. And by field, I mean theme park uh, uh, food festivals. Um, no, so, you know, I, I, I tried to eat at least a couple bites of everything. And I'm about halfway through, maybe a little bit more than three quarters of the way through right now, um, oh. Flower and Garden. But a couple of things that, uh, that, that really, really stood out. The fried green tomatoes over at the Odyssey Center. Mm-hmm. They're calling this place now uh, Arbor for Flower and Garden. Mm-hmm. The fried green tomatoes there are really, really good. In fact, uh, the other place that has fried green tomatoes is over at the Italy Pavilion. And there at the Italy, Italy Pavilion, they come with a balsamic reduction. I don't mm-hmm. think there's enough sour in the balsamic over there to cut through the uh, the taste of the oil, the fried mm-hmm. oil. But they were super hot over at Italy. But uh, but yeah, the ones over at Arbor are really, really good. The other thing over at Arbor that, uh, that wasn't bad, they're doing like a smoked salmon stacked sandwich, mm-hmm. which is super tasty as well. The other thing I liked, and this was a surprise, is something called the Flavorful Kitchen mm-hmm. in Future World West. And they're doing roasted beets with micro herbs and lemon oil dressing. I am not a huge fan of beets. I, I don't know of anyone who wakes up in the morning, yeah. other maybe than Laurel, mm-hmm. who says, I really hope beets are on the menu today. <laughs> um, but these were really good. The lemon oil uh, dressing 
uh, helped. I think the the citrus lemon flavor sort of cut some of the. To me, uh, beets are uh, a little a little sour, mm-hmm. yep. and the oil kind of helped with that. Also, there's some grilled street corn with savory garlic spread over at this place called Trowel and Tellus. Mm-hmm. Trellis. Speaking of uh, flower and garden, it's uh, it's halfway between Chocas Plaza and Mexico. The one thing I would say with this, if it's grilled street corn, you want to get a little bit of a char on the corn, but oh, it was yeah, really, yeah. really good. Mm-hmm. Also, super, super messy, so just stand by the napkin <laughs> dispenser as you eat it. It's just easier to save everyone a lot of walking. <laughs> I was about to say the, what, the Philly cheesesteak lean, right? You know, just, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's, but it was really good. Um, and then the one thing that we we actually fought over, so there were about six of us that were doing this tour. The one thing that we all fought over was the Jardín de Fiestas booth, which I think is semi-permanent now with the Mexico Pavilion. Mm-hmm. But they have this thing called a uh, Tlacoyo. Uh, it's a blue corn masa topped with black bean spread, ground chorizo, queso fresco, and Mexican cream. Super delicious. It's like mm-hmm. a, a mini pizza. Okay. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Really, really good. And then the last thing that I really, really liked was the pulled big slider at the smokehouse at the American Pavilion. I think that's a pretty standard offering. It's there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good. I was kind of in the mood for barbecue by the time I got to the U.S. Pavilion. And that was uh, really good. In fact, the food was pretty good almost all the way around the park. I went sort of uh, clockwise, mm-hmm. starting with uh, uh, the Odyssey. The only two places I really didn't think the food was very good were China mm-hmm. and Germany. So uh, China had some spicy beef over rice. It was bland. Mm-hmm. And then they had spring rolls. It's just not imaginative stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't get that. And the other one was in Germany. They had mm-hmm. potato pancakes and streusel. Everything was slightly undercooked. Mm. Like it was sort of like the, you know, like when you fry something, it starts to, it, it gets like a, first a yellow color, then it turns golden brown. They stopped mm-hmm. at sort of the yellowish color. So nothing was like golden brown. So as far as I'm concerned, kids, save your money there. Okay. Um, like I said, I'm headed back uh, later this week to finish up food tasting. Uh, also to play in some of the gardens. Uh, so I was playing on, on some of the uh, the play sets. Apparently there are weight limits on some, Jim. Mm-hmm. Who knew? <laughs> Whatever. All right, fine. Other thing that was interesting, as I was walking around um, mm-hmm. Epcot, I noticed a bunch of Disney executives were also walking around in Future World, um, mm-hmm. but they were accompanied by construction workers holding blueprints. Mm-hmm. What do you uh, what do you make of that, James? We've just saw that that bunch of demo permits filed, and I was making some more phone calls in regard to the whole sort of reinventing the heart of future world. You know, the pulling down of Communicore invention uh, or innovations and all that. They really do want to have as much of this is open as possible for the fiftieth, and mm. should probably be ready for construction fences to start going up just as Flower and Garden is shutting down. So the uh, the first construction fences, I believe, went up yesterday. Uh, there we go. What's going to get challenging here is you're talking about basically shutting down access to the heart of Future World and directing people around as you pull down these buildings. Yeah, they've already warned the folks going ahead for the other festivals during the year. They reached out, for example, to the concierges who work at all of the higher-end hotels and basically said, look, you need to modify the times you tell guests to get to the park to do shows starting in June, July, and August, that it's going to be a longer walk. Uh, They're going to be that much more frustrated. You might want to suggest, say, coming in, if they're doing one of the shows at the American Garden Theater, that Uber over to, say, uh, Boardwalk or that sort of thing. Boardwalk or Beach Club, yeah. Yeah. So That's what I've been doing. 
I've been getting dropped off at Boardwalk and Beach Club. It's just easier mm-hmm. for the American Garden shows. But uh, but you're saying that this is going to affect uh, Future World too. That's that's really interesting that that, that Disney would tell people to uh, not to take Disney transportation. Perhaps they're suggesting minivans. The first people to be contacted to be looped into what's going on are the concierges who are obviously dealing with the Disney equivalent of whales. You know, your higher right. end, end customers and we're about to enter an 18 month long period where, you know, things are going to be changing at Epcot and, you know, we still want your your visit to be pleasant. So do this instead of the usual. Huh. So Disney's approaching people who are staying at club level rooms when they're doing this, uh, their, their pre-trip planning services, the, one, the, the pre-trip planning services that Disney offers? That's, that's when people are getting notified of this? Right now, it's about getting the concierges looped in. And then it's, ah, it's it, a it, question it. of, you know, they've also been making these folks aware. It's like, we're going to need you in about three or four months' time to come in because we're starting to do the informational sessions for the 50th. Oh, got it, got it, got and, it. And in fact, supposedly at that time, they will also be briefing them on how Walt Disney World will be handling its Galaxy's Edge issues, which we'll get to at the, the second half of today's show. We will. will. Uh, speaking of uh, Disney executives in uh, Epcot, I, I understand there was a Bob Chapek setting. In Orlando earlier this week? Yeah, kind of unfortunate timing with that. We did have that that gentleman who was killed backstage in construction at Epcot. But yeah, he was in to check on progress with Galaxy's Edge, uh, get a status on what's going on with Ratatouille, and just to sort of take one last look at this version of Communicore Interventions before Epcot effectively gets a heart transplant. I'm uh, very interested to see what uh, comes out of this in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I'll get some uh, photos. We can post them on Twitter. All right, folks, let's do uh, let's do the news. Uh, don't forget that Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, a trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. And don't forget, they've got that Disney uh, Cruise Line cruise with our friend Scott Sanders of the Disney Cruise Line blog coming up June 19th to the 23rd. It's a four-night Bahamian cruise on the Disney Dream with a double dip on Castaway Key. You can ask Scott if you're on that cruise all about what's coming up with the Disney Cruise Line in the future. Sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim. This week, in fact, yesterday as we record this, Disney announced uh, new ticket price increases for Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. We knew it was coming. We didn't know it was going to be so soon. So this is what the last ticket price increases were in October. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, October to November, November to December, December to January, January, February, February, March, five months ago? Yeah. Though hadn't we heard that they, after the last one, that there was the potential for two ticket bumps between now and when Galaxy's Edge opened? And I think now that the Orlando version has crept up from a late fall to a late summer opening, I, I think that window probably has closed. I mean, I don't think they dare between now and August. August. Yeah, to do another one. Yeah, two price increases in the span of uh, 10 months would be, I think, unprecedented or uh, at least you know, unprecedented this, uh, this decade. Mm-hmm. I do expect one before the end of the year, though. So sometime maybe after Galaxy's Edge opens, but before Christmas. That makes sense. Speaking of Christmas, Jim, mm-hmm. did you see how much one-day ticket prices went up for, uh, for peak period? $30 per person per day, 129 to $159. So, uh, so if you're going over Christmas now, $159 plus tax. You know, I looked at that number, Jim, and it's just for the period around Christmas. I looked at $159, mm-hmm. and I got to admit, 60% of my original reaction was that's not going to be enough mm-hmm. to keep the crowds away, especially if Galaxy's Edge 
is as good as everyone says it is. My only concern with that is there's sort of that metric of people need to get 10 rides in a day or 10 rideshow attractions to feel right. like they're getting a good return on their investment. And anybody who's been to Disney during the Christmas week knows that that's a challenge, even with, you know, a good touring plan lines app in hand. Yeah, you need, you need to show, show up pretty early to get your rides in. And that's, you know, the parks are opening at 7, which means you can get there at 6.30, 6.45, mm. and really get started. And there is a bonus to that, right? Because a lot of people aren't willing to do that on their vacation. But you can definitely get a ton of stuff done. The, um, the last year that I uh, was in the parks on New Year's Eve and using a touring plan, we did 35 attractions by 5 p.m. Woof. So still possible. Okay. How many of those rides involved use of taser? <laughs> Hopping the fences, getting in line. No, 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 it was just, we got there early. I think everyone was standing in line like at 620 in the morning. And again, not a lot mm. more people are going to do that. But the first couple hours the park is open, it's like any other day. You know, mm. It's just that it's very, very early. And, and at the time, it was a little bit cold. Mm -hmm. So the tickets, the Christmas tickets now are $169 with tax for adults, $164 for kids. The average price increase, I think, was around... 4.4% according mm -hmm. to our statistician, Steve Bloom. So I'll give you some, some numbers here, Jim. So one day ticket for adults again, low is $116 with tax. Mm -hmm. High season now, 169 with tax. For kids, it's 111 and 164. Mm -hmm. The most common tickets that are sold are something like four or five day tickets for Walt Disney World. A four day ticket now for an adult with tax ranges between 426 and $597. Mm -hmm. So a $171 difference for a four day ticket, depending on when you go. Mm -hmm. And for kids, it's uh, it's four twelve to five seventy eight. So realistically, if you're a family of four, you're going for four days over Christmas. It's almost twenty four hundred dollars in tickets. Wow! I have to assume this strategy, the fact that they're sort of doubling down on this, Disney's got to have seen this starting to work. The whole seasonal ticket, the whole sort of giving people incentive to to visit on less popular, less busy times of year, right? There's some evidence that. Um, January and February are a little bit busier than they uh, than they would be otherwise. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see this year mm -hmm. what happens during the slow period. So like upcoming in May, I think a little bit. And then what's throwing it all of out of whack is August and September now, which is traditionally slow. Mm -hmm. Disney is still saying that on its ticket calendar that the, the slowest and therefore cheapest tickets of the year are available in August and September. I don't know that the people who sell tickets have been told that Galaxy's Edge is opening August 29th. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Jim. Jim, you got to read your email every day. That's what I'm saying. Every day, <laughs> it's important. It's important. Read wow. the newspaper. Check okay. Twitter. But uh, but more on that later. The mm -hmm. uh, so let me give you some other prices. So if you wanted a park hopper mm -hmm. instead of a base ticket, a one day park hopper with for adults ranges between 180 and 233 dollars. For kids, that's 175 to 228. If you're looking at a 10 day park hopper, 579 dollars to 728 dollars for adults, 557 to 707 for kids. If you wanted to, Jim, throw on the Park Hopper Plus mm -hmm. option for that, which gets you the water parks mm -hmm. in addition to park hopping. For adults, it's a cool $600 with tax all the way up to $750. And for kids, $578 to $728 for a 10-day, $201, $255 for adults. Basically the same for kids, $196 to $249. So 10-day Park Hopper Plus with tax up to $750. At that point, Jim, you're looking at an annual pass, right? Gotta be. Gotta be. Yeah. I think that's uh, I think that's probably wise. The thing that amazed me, though, and I, I, this, I don't think this one has gotten a lot of 
a lot of press is how much the flexible dates option went up. Before this, I think the flexible date option where you don't tell Disney the specific dates that you're traveling, Mm -hmm. you basically buy the ticket and you can show up whenever you want. Also, the ticket doesn't expire for 14 days, so it gets you a little bit more time to actually use the ticket. That was like, I think it tops out around $90, -hmm. if I recall correctly. Now, it tops out at $176 for a four-day ticket. So if you wanted to add a flex date onto the cheapest four-day ticket you could buy, it's $176.56 for adults, $174 for kids. So the price ranges obviously from zero dollars. Mm-hmm. If you bought the most expensive one-day ticket over Christmas, there's no incremental charge because mm-hmm. that's already as, as, as expensive as they can uh, they can make it up to that $176.56. That's an amazing uh, range. No, I that. agree. I agree. But at the same time, you could. You can see what Disney's ultimate agenda here is. They want to know when you're coming because that's exactly it. Even yeah. if you um, so aside from the one day tickets, mm. if you were to add the flex date option to any ticket, any two to ten day ticket, mm-hmm. even if you picked the most busy day, like let's say you bought a two day ticket and you were originally going to go Christmas and the day after, so the twenty fifth and twenty sixth. If you bought a, a regular ticket with a flex date option, you would still pay an additional five dollars. On top of that, just as a disincentive to tell Disney what date you're actually going. So it's going to cost you five bucks mm-hmm. if you don't want to tell Disney, at least five dollars if you don't want to tell Disney when you're visiting, no matter what. That's kind of amazing. That's like the surcharge for not telling us, uh, not telling Disney when, when you're going. Mm-hmm. That was surprising. No, I agree. It, it concerns me now that between the what? Having to do dining 180 days out and fast passes 60 days out. And now when are you coming? What time of year? Yeah. Well, don't forget when you do the dining too, you have to say who you're going with. <sighs> so it's not only like, you know, you can't just make a reservation for six people. You have to tell people, you have to tell Disney which six people specifically mm-hmm. it's going to be. I get for a lot of people that a trip to Walt Disney World is a once in a lifetime thing, but this is really starting to sound more like homework. <laughs> you know, there's a whole aspect that I don't want to compare vacation to colonoscopy, but the whole notion of, well, you got to drink this giant thing, but if you go in tomorrow, I want to go on vacation. I want to enjoy myself. And it's just, well, it's 345 tomorrow. You'd better be in the park in line for this ride or you lose your window. I think there's an opportunity actually for Disney to offer a uh, service where you don't have to worry about any of those things. Mm-hmm. Like for an additional $500, show up whenever you want. We'll get you whatever fast passes you want. We'll get you whatever dining reservations you want. Do, do you think that, that that there would be a market for that for some people oh, I who, who aren't staying club level? I, Give I, me a certain amount of money and we'll just make it all happen on the Disney side. I'm terrified that somebody is sitting in Orlando right now with a notepad <laughs> going, Ooh, hang Brenda, on. take a memo. <laughs> there we go. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. All right, James, let's uh, do a quick commercial break. Coming af- up after that break, uh, Disney has announced opening dates for Galaxy's Edge that are much sooner than anyone has anticipated. What does that mean for you? Jim and I will have all of the details right after this. And we're back. All right, Jim. Also last week, big news. Disney announced that Galaxy's Edge was going to open May 31st in California Mm -hmm. and in phases. And also, Walt Disney World's Galaxy's Edge was going to open August 29th, also in phases. Jim, what did they mean by in phases. What that means is that Rise of the Resistance is proving to be problematic. And you and I talked 
with our, our friend Carly. A couple weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago. And I checked with her today before we recorded because I wanted to be mm-hmm. sure about this. But at any time when you were on this tour, did anybody say anything about Rise of the Resistance being delayed? Or for that matter, over the entire press event, did anybody say anything about this place opening at phase? And she said no indication at all. Now jump ahead, March 7th, annual shareholders meeting. Anaheim opens May 31st, and the Orlando version opens August 29th. And only now are we getting, oh, we're opening in phases. This decision to do this was made in a less than a two-week window that evidently the autonomous vehicle that is used to move guests throughout the, a major portion of Rise of the Resistance is proving to be problematic. Oh, is that what it is? It's the ride vehicle. We've had Disney attractions that use autonomous guided vehicles. I mean, for example, when you get on Tower of Terror in Florida and you do the fifth dimension, you travel out of one drop shaft, you go through the fifth dimension space and you go into the, the final drop shaft. And But that's only 40 feet, Len, from the very back of the elevator you're in to cross that space to getting to the next elevator. Evidently, the issue with Rise of the Resistance is it has to travel like 20 times that length through various show scenes, stop and start, and it's just not working the way it's supposed to. But doesn't Disney have trackless ride vehicles in like Shanghai and Tokyo? I mean, this isn't completely new technology to them, right? Bob Chapek himself said, this is the most ambitious attraction we've ever built the finale of this thing when the star destroyer is being attacked by the resistance you're inside a vessel that's being fired on and and finn cuts in and you know we found a way off the ship for you You have to make your way to this escape pod and it's your autonomous vehicle has to make it into this room where they then simulate that you're in escape pod dropping back to the planet of Batu. You know, then you exit and, you know, find yourself next to the Black Spire equivalent of the gift shop. Okay, so hold on for a second. So um, you mentioned a detail here that I hadn't heard before, mm-hmm. and that's that in the escape pod, you'll still be in your autonomous ride vehicle. I thought you were getting out. No, and getting in something else. No, no. In fact, that, oh, okay. See, that's the thing. You get out when you're back on Batu. When you are taken to the interrogation room, and they, you know, like I said, you know, your initial transport. There's 48 of you. Then they break you down into two groups of 24 who are put into different interrogation rooms, and then right. only you're, then, you're on foot at this point. You're on foot in the room, but then when you escape, you're broken down into groups of 12, and you then get right. in this droid-driven autonomous vehicle. Okay, so so my understanding, the way I was picturing it in my head was once you get in the 12-person vehicle, mm-hmm. eventually you got out again and then got into the escape pod. But okay, now, I'm, now that makes more sense. You know, they only want at that point, the escape pod's back on Batu. you get out at that point, the ride experience is over. This attraction, you start from the briefing at the beginning with Ray and BB-8. There are 19 different show scenes in this thing. Yeah. I mean, even if each one takes 30 seconds, that's a, that's 10 minutes right there. Yeah. So as recently as January, this thing was opening in June. As far back as the fall of 2017, 
that mm-hmm. Florida was running at least three months behind schedule, which, by the way, is not Woodward and Bernstein level work, Len. I mean, yeah, Big Thunder and the railroad and the Rivers of America stuff out in California closed January 11th, whereas Disney Hollywood Studios only shut down Lights, Motor, Action and Streets of America back in April. So it's like if you're three months, there's a three month time between when they open. There's a reason they started three months later. And then, yeah, not a, a revelation to anyone. The thing that surprised me was, mm. so first of all, the phased opening mm. surprised me. We didn't see that coming. But I think it, it's it's smart for a couple of reasons. Mm. One is it does take some pressure off of the crowds because mm. there are some families who are going to wait to see Galaxy's Edge when both rides are open, not mm. when the first one opens. So uh, I think the number will be relatively small compared to the crowds, mm-hmm. but it will take a little bit of the edge off the crowds itself. The other thing, I mean, from a Disney perspective is it allows them to move forward in this fiscal year mm-hmm. with uh, getting revenue from Galaxy's Edge. So if, uh, remember, the, in Walt Disney World, the original uh, thing was late fall 2019 opening, yep. which was well into fiscal year 2020 for, for Disney. But now they're actually going to capture some of that money in fiscal year 2019. You and I have both been hearing about what the people in the reservation center have been saying about the number of people who've called and, you know, when is it opening? Because I'm not booking a trip till I know, oh. you know. <laughs> so the the second set, set of phone calls I made mm. after this announcement, first, well, obviously we were to, to people confirming details, but the second thing I called was mm. the next day were travel agents. Mm-hmm. And they all reported, every one of them, to a person reported a spike in uh, bookings as soon as the announcements were made. Mm -hmm. My concern, if we're talking about California here, you only have one chance to make a first impression. I'm a little concerned about this whole, this is exactly what it says on the blog. Guests planning to visit Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland Park in California between May 31st and June 23rd will need not only valid theme park admission, but they'll also need a no-cost reservation. Reservation, right. So this is the next thing I want to talk to you about. Yeah. They're not going to use FastPass for this because they've said there will not be FastPass available for Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run when it opens. Mm-hmm. But you will need a reservation to get in the land. Itself. Land itself, right. And so what they said was, if you're staying at a Disney hotel, Mm -hmm. you get one guaranteed entry during your stay. Mm -hmm. So immediately, uh, I booked two rooms at at, at Disneyland uh, hotels so I could get two two visits into the the land. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to make, I guess, uh, through some other mechanism, I guess a sign-up sheet that they'll make available later on, you'll have to get a a reservation to, to see it. If yeah. you're just a regular day guest. Did you catch the other thing that was buried in, in the blog listing that, that capacity is limited? Oh, it's not buried anymore, Jim. It's on the front page of the Disney website every time, every time, every page you go to now. Yeah. It's, it, there's this warning. Yeah. So they're, they're telling people not to expect to get it. Yeah. Well, they have to. I mean, they have to start prepping people, right? No, no, absolutely. I, I think it's important to get that realistic expectation. My concern is that. I think people who are going to Walt Disney World will understand this. I am genuinely concerned about California with its huge number of people who have annual passes. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's still amazing, immersive space. They're going to do some amazing cutting-edge stuff here. And, And the fact that they're smart enough to know that, well, look, the first summer that smugglers run is up going to be up and running it'll it'll be up and down a lot so it's like don't do fast passes that we can't possibly honor 
that's a tough but a good adult call. But there are other reasons for not using FastPass. Mm-hmm. And I think Disney's making the right move here. Number one, mm-hmm. if, they, if, if there was FastPass for this ride and they did general admission, mm-hmm. like they just let people in, the line would be 30 hours long. Mm-hmm. I did the math on this and I did a uh, post that was quoted in an article on this. So let me just do the math here. Mm-hmm. So let's say that, uh, just to make the math easy, let's say that Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run does 1,000 people an hour. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. It's like 1,800. But again, just to make the math okay. math work. At 1,000 people an hour, 75 or 80% of the ride would be dedicated to fast pass. So mm-hmm. that would mean that 800 people would get fast passes. 200 people would be standby. All right? In an hour. Oh, right? Yeah. So every 200 people in line, mm-hmm. Jim, would be another hour of wait. So 1,000 people in line would be a five-hour wait. Mm-hmm. Given that Disneyland holds, what, 70,000, 80,000 people? Yeah. Yeah. What percentage of them do you think, if they could get general admission into Galaxy's Edge, what percentage of those seven to 80,000 people do you think would want to get in line for Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run? If it's 10%, yeah. the line would be 35 hours long. That's why they're not using FastPass. Okay. No, no, no. no <laughs> right there. No. Right there. Right there. And kudos to Disney for, for being bold enough not to implement FastPass on the ride, at least to start with. I did some research on this, Jim. Mm-hmm. Do you know when the last major ride was to open without FastPass? It's interesting you say that. <laughs> You challenged me on it. I went and looked at the GM test track back in March of 99. And do you know why, Jim? Do you know why it didn't have FastPass? Why? Because FastPass wasn't invented yet. Well, <laughs> it that's actually, true. It actually predates FastPass by like six months. Yeah, July 1999. I uh, love FastPass. In fact, look at the first park that, that FastPass even shows up in. Animal Kingdom? It's Animal Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Kilimanjaro Safari, Countdown to Extinction, and Cali River Rapids were the first three rides to offer this option. And, and if you think about it, that park had only been open since April April of 1998. Cali River Rapids, you know, if we're talking July of 1999, only opened in March of 1999. Yeah. So it was the easiest park to bring this into. Circling back to the difference between Disney World and Disneyland's version of Galaxy's Edge, that really is is my concern now, is that I think the, the huge number of annual pass holders who have this sense of false entitlement when it comes to Disneyland... I worry about that first summer when they aren't going to get in or more to the point that first three weeks or so where they have to have a reservation to get in or the very thing you were talking about that the easiest way to guarantee you're going to get in is to have a hotel room at the Paradise Pier or uh, Grand California or the Disneyland Hotel. And it did. I booked booked reservations. And surprisingly, there are still some affordable reservations available. Here's the thing that surprised me, though. Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine um, booked a VIP tour for May 31st. Mm But because they're not using FastPass on Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, mm-hmm. there's technically no guarantee that the VIP tour will get you to the front of the line. Mm-hmm. And Disney hasn't yet said how they were handling this. So I did some discreet inquiries, mm-hmm. not only for Disneyland, but also for Walt Disney World. Like, mm-hmm. like how are you handling VIP tours? What's the, what's the plan? And what I got back in response was, we'll get back to you. And that tells me that, that this decision to open the park Mm-hmm. was made pretty quickly. Yeah. This is the Disney company making the decision, you know, from January 4th, Iger talking to Barron's, this thing's open in June, to it's opening May 31st. Okay. Back to 2014. Universal Studios is working on Diagon Alley, and for much the same reason that Galaxy's Edge has fallen behind schedule, Diagon Alley falls behind schedule. Diagon Alley was announced as opening summer 2014. And in fact, people assumed, okay, so that's 
June 21st, and, and in fact, June 13th of that year, this huge frenzy launches online because this piece of video shows up very quickly and then gets pulled down on the Universal website, which announces a June 30th opening. Uh, for I Dolby. remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was there. It was gone. Universal looks at this situation and it's like, okay, we have this wonderfully themed, heavy immersive land with, you know, shops and restaurants, but we only have one ride. At this mm. point, Gringotts is still having operational issues and the only ride they're going to be opening with is the Hogwarts Express, you know, the transportation experience back and forth from Hogwarts to Diagon Alley. And they make the tough call of, we're not ready. Let's push off the opening to July 8th. Even July 8th, Gringotts was still pretty iffy for a while there. And I remember this because remember they were selling packages based on the opening and there was a ton of feedback. I mean, there's a ton of backlash. Yeah. So this is a universal that still feels the burn from when it opened in in 1990 and Kong couldn't operate on a regular basis, neither could Jaws. So this, this was a group that had learned the hard way not to open with something that disappointed. And they kicked the can down to July 8th. And here we are, we're looking at a Disney that decided, okay, we're opening a month early. I'm a little concerned about that land. You don't think it'll be ready? I mean, I think that given the fact that they've already announced the dates and they were so aggressive in moving the dates up, mm-hmm. they have to be really confident that they're going to hit the dates for what they've announced, right? I mean, don't you think? I think this thing is going to open come hell or high water. When Disneyland opened in July of 1955, it wasn't exactly ready either. But that wasn't in an era where people have iPhones and that wasn't in an era when you had roughly a million annual pass holders with a sense of false entitlement. Yeah. I still think it's going to be ready, but uh, I see your point. I mean, a couple of unlucky breaks and they could be uh, stirring down the barrel, right? Yeah. You only get one chance to make a first impression. Yeah. Maybe that's why they're limiting it to the number of people. It's, uh, it's also uh, could, could limit uh, collateral damage if it's not ready. But yeah. Jim, I want to talk to you real quick about, about uh, Galaxy's Edge in Walt Disney World. So mm-hmm. unlike Disneyland, yeah. Disney hasn't said that they're going to do reservations to get into Galaxy's Edge. It's general admission. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and again, in talking with friends in Orlando about that, they're like, yeah, we want to watch that for summer. Maybe. Is, is that it? That they're just waiting to see what happens at Disneyland yeah. before they announce it? If, okay. If right. it <laughs> is, in fact a PR nightmare. That is the fear. You not only need a mission to get into the park, but you need a reservation to get into this part of the park. And Disney World really wants to hang back. And it's like, if the opening of the Anaheim Park blows up in their face, that the Disney World wants the option to go in an entirely different direction. Okay. So they'll see this happening May 31st. Mm-hmm. They'll have all of June, all of July, and most of August to say, you know what, here's a better way of doing this. There we go. So a couple of other uh, couple of other quick things. They also said that they're not going to use FastPass for, for the first month again. Mm-hmm. That means, or the reason why they're doing that is to avoid the 35-hour waits in line. Mm-hmm. They also give height requirements, right? We knew one of them already. Mm-hmm. We knew uh, Rise of the Resistance height requirement was 40 inches. They confirmed that. But the Millennium Falcon smugglers run 38 inches. Mm-hmm. That's not, those aren't terribly tall no. requirements. They're, you know, relatively young uh, kids, mm-hmm. both pass that. So it shouldn't be a, a big deal there. Jim, when do you think Rise of the Resistance will be ready in, uh, in Walt Disney World? The language that is being used right now is that Rise of the Resistance will be ready a few months after opening. I have to tell you from talking with friends, it's a, that's a, a little optimistic, maybe very optimistic. What's happening right now is that 
a lot of the people who were working on Rise of the Resistance were actually pivoting over to Smuggler's Run to make sure. I mean, you know, that has to work for opening day. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the, the thinking is that as soon as the park is open, we can then throw, you know, and the beauty of Rise of the Resistance is that it's all inside of a giant show building. So they can run right. crews in there 24-7 out of sight of the public. They can be doing sure. ride testing. Smart point. Yeah. Yeah. The hope is that because they're talking months to have it open in California, the hope is that if we don't make August... Okay, I was thinking August too. Yeah. yeah. And again, taking everything that they learned from the ride testing and, and that sort of thing and applying it to Orlando. So they're hoping that they can, if not have it open for opening day, that it's it's kind of the equivalent of what happened with the Imagination Pavilion. That, you know, Epcot opened in you know October of 82 and Imagination opened shortly after that, March. But they're, they're hoping rather than months, they're talking weeks, you know, three okay. weeks, you know, that sort of thing. But you think it'll open in uh, Walt Disney World this year? Yeah. Walt Disney World, if you talk with the folks there, with, with, you know, with their Galaxy's Edge project, that's just sort of like, we want to be the good one. We want to all, you, <laughs> know, you know, we, we want to open with no complaining guests and yes we'll still have the same capacity issues and but on the other hand did, did you notice you know at least there they were talking almost immediately about you know the early morning access to guests staying in you know hotels on property i didn't see that was that gonna be available is it gonna be available for morning extra magic hours that is the plan supposedly i just found that intriguing about anaheim that they that really didn't seem to be pushed in the same way right right you know, but on the other hand, I guess, you know, and again, this is something I got from concierge friends, you know, to the effect of we're going to take a lot of the pressure off of Galaxy's Edge by doing that, by, you know, making this these time periods exclusive to guests staying at Walt Disney World hotels, but also, oddly enough, bundling that with Toy Story Land. Okay, so this is going to be the next, though, it's just, this kind of leads into the next uh, thing I was going to uh, ask you. Mm-hmm. Have you heard anything about like special preview events or after hours events that are for Galaxy's Edge? Have you heard anything at all about that or when we're going to hear anything about it? This is Toy Story Land Revisited. They are going to be working on this thing, painting, finaling the land right up until it opens. That I, Again, I apologize to all you annual pass holders out there, but you should be ready for the fact that if you're looking to get at special access to either you know, the Anaheim or the Orlando version, it's going to be months after the fact. Really, you think? Oh, no. The pushback from the folks at Imagineering about you're going to put all of these crowds into these highly themed immersive areas. And it's like, we are going to need every hour after we chase the guests out to do repairs, to do repainting, to, I mean, yeah. again, this is, you know, plaster cracks. I mean, stuff happens. Yeah, right? that, no, that's it's exactly. like the, the first, the first year of house uh, that you're living in a new house. It's, yeah, you know, no, that's re- it. Is recalk it. everything you've got. Oh, I've missed this paint. And yeah. why is the screw sticking out? Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. And, and seriously, the earliest that we should, you know, people should expect special access for annual pass holders is three months after opening and it it potentially pushed out as far as six months. All right. They will, however, try to make that an extra special, amazing event. But Disney has never done anything like this before. And they're dealing with expectations and pressures that have never been associated with. with Yeah, that they've never seen before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Well, I can't wait to see it. And I'm uh, I'm excited to see what what other uh, details that they reveal, especially uh, if they do do opening dates, preview events after, you know, if they announce it even for after it's uh, 
after its opening. I'm super excited to see what the uh, what the details of that are going to be. Right, same thing here, and I don't mean to have sounded as negative as as I have because you know the hard reality is that even when this opens and even when this has issues, we jump ahead a year or two. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. It's it's going to be the thing yeah, that you talk great. about. But they've never done anything like this before, so there's there's going to be a huge learning curve. Patience all the way around. There we Patience go. Patience all the way yeah. around. All right, folks, that's going to do it for our show today. On next week's show, Jim is going to reveal some really interesting hints he's got about the kinds of attractions, shows, and restaurants Universal may be planning for its next theme park. And for more of our shows, head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Don't forget we're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's projected as an early third-round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. Don't forget to go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.